It's Tuesday, September 23rd. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Pro and Options, Jeff Fisher. And from the Great White North, he's back, Jim Gillies. Good to see you, my friend. Good to see you. Once again, our border security just letting us down. Well, come come but- across in a rowboat in the middle of the night. <laughs> <laughs> um, we are going to dip into the full mailbag. We are, of course, we're going to talk options because Jeff Fisher's of in the course. room. Because that's that's what we do I when Jeff insulted. Fisher's in the room, like, especially with Jim here. <laughs> especially with Jim here. <laughs> but um, but because Jim is here, we got to talk about Tim Hortons because I I this is a story that broke at the end of August when we were on uh, a short vacation. Um, I, I am curious, and we'll get into the business in a second. Um, but I am curious what the reaction was that you had, that you know, maybe your friends and family had with an American company swooping in and, and buying. Are you Tim asking Hortons. if there was deep national sorrow? Uh, not deep. I'm just wondering what was the reaction because uh, I've I've heard from some people that uh, there were people in Toronto who were just mad or bitter. Well, I mean, uh, Tim Hortons has done a really good job of. Making you think that they are, you know, like they're one step down from the maple leaf and maple syrup as our national s- symbols, right? Um, uh, they are routinely on the list of top brands in Canada. I mean, they've really tied themselves to, you know, national pride and Canadiana and that sort of thing. And so, yeah, there was there was a lot of that kind of angst spilled in, you know, your websites and magazines and newspapers. Um, unnecessarily so, in my opinion. I mean, how soon we forget. I mean, Tim Hortons was just spun off from being owned by Wendy's, I think, in 2006. You know, so we were owned by, or they, we were owned, listen to that. Yeah. Uh, they, were owned, pride. they were owned <laughs> by a large American-ish burger chain for years and years and years. And they did really well. In fact, arguably, you know, they were what propped up Wendy's for so long. And now they're being acquired, or at least... Um, tax inversioned into another large American-ish burger chain. And you know, at the end of the day, they sell coffee and donuts. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's, not, uh, it's not a national treasure, in my opinion. It's, it's, just a, it's just a coffee and donuts chain. So. But there was some of that angst because I think the marketing has been so successful over the years. Yeah, and we should talk about that tax inversion as well, as that's in the news, too. But I'm shocked to learn that we have lower taxes than you. I was unaware of that. <laughs> yeah, the funny thing is that Canada is not well known for lower taxes. No, it's not. <laughs> and I, I, I actually... Agree. I find myself agreeing probably with Burger King and Warren Buffett, who's financing this deal in part, when they say they are not moving to Canada f- as a tax inversion. Uh, the Burger King's tax rate is about overall 27%. Tim Hortons is 26%, so there won't be much benefit. But the reason they're becoming a Canadian company is uh, two-thirds or so or greater of sales will now be derived in Canada. Tim Hortons is about three times the size of Burger King. When you look at revenue, so yeah, but it's and it's also it's all franchise too. I mean, I think Tim Hortons is running about 90, 95 plus percent franchises. They don't do any, so it's a it's a it's so it's that kind of a, st- uh, of so a stream of business. Maybe you saw this on the streets, Jim, in Canada. At, <laughs> uh, well, I read a, a quote somewhere that there was shock value here that another Canadian company was being purchased by a U.S. company, but it's being purchased by an American company that wants to become Canadian. So. 
that's not so bad. <laughs> so was there like rage Silver and then, lining. oh, okay. Sure. But yeah. st- I mean, when I hear you talk about the business of Tim Hortons, it makes me wonder, well, wait a minute, should I be looking at shares of Burger King? Because certainly Tim Hortons stock, which two months ago was trading in the low 50s, spiked on being acquired by Burger King, and it's now 80. So that ship has sailed for investors. Mm-hmm. But is Tim Hortons' business so good that people should take a second look at Burger King worldwide. Well, as, as someone who recommended Tim Hortons back in uh, uh, an old foolish product called Global Gains back in 2007, I'm you know quite happy to see that. You know, you always, <laughs> you, you love all your children forever. Um, <laughs> the, the idea, it, as I looked at this deal, look, Tim Hortons is an institution in Canada, absolutely. It is uh, almost bulletproof in Canada. I mean, it's, it's, I've joked before that it almost seems like most Canadians are contractually obligated to go twice a day. Yeah, Jim, before the taping, we were saying it, it, it wants to be the Starbucks of Canada, but it's more like the Dunkin' Donuts. It's, it's the Dunkin' Donuts. It, it, and, and, and there's nothing wrong with that, right? And it's, it is a rock-solid business. But there's really no more fertile path to grow. I mean, it, you know, it's like you know, there's a Tim Hortons in the washroom of a Tim Hortons kind of thing. And so they have been trying and failing at growing into the American markets and perhaps Europe going forward. And that's going to be the pathway that Burger King is supposedly going to take them. Now, Burger King is not a cheaply priced equity. Tim Hortons now is definitely not, and even before wasn't a terribly cheaply priced equity. I I looked at this deal and I said, you know, this, this to me is Burger King buying Tim Hortons and their rock-solid cash flow streams and almost the annuity cash flow streams in Canada and the Canadian operations as a means to shore up the Burger King operations. So, you know, I'm, I probably wouldn't go near Burger King post, you know, you know, post-combination or what have you, at least for a while, uh, because, again, it is contingent on Tim Hortons successfully growing and growing large in non-Canadian markets. You can email us, radio at fool.com is our email address. Uh, got a question from Ed Seeley of Chicago, Illinois, who self-identifies as listener number 47 and a half, which <laughs> we love that. Um, he writes, I opened an account uh, for my teenage son, and he wanted to buy Coca-Cola, so that was his first purchase. I figured it would be a solid company, not a big ride like Netflix has been for me, but a solid ride and affordable, and they pay dividends, which is something I want him to learn about. So my question for you guys is this. What are the benefits or drawbacks of using a drip? I have a dividend reinvestment program set up with my investments, but I don't know the full implications of that, taxes, etc. As fate would have it, one of the people here in the studio is actually the author of a book on dividend reinvestment investing, Jeff Fisher. Yes, and I, I, I do remember writing it. I, I, <laughs> investing it without was, a silver spoon. Uh, yep. You can look it up on uh, Amazon, on, on Barnes & Noble. You like can that. look it up on the, your Google machine. 1999, um, that puppy came out. But so the ben- First, what are the benefits of dividend reinvestment investing? So the benefits are, traditionally... No fees. Uh, I, you could say low fees, but forget that. You want no fees because you can get low fees with a discount broker now. So you can start by buying just one share, typically a couple shares. You can buy partial shares, and you can have dividends reinvested all free of charge uh, historically. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of plans have, have deviated from that, and now they do charge fees to use them. And so they have become less popular as you would imagine, the past 10 years as commissions at typical brokers have gone down. 
I was uh, going to say, back when you wrote this book, my memory is that there were uh, part of the attractiveness of this at the time was that there were a lot of companies that would just do this for you. You could contact the investor relations department mm-hmm. directly. There would be a fee to set it up, but then you would just be sending your money directly to the company, and they would it, reinvest. It, exactly, Chris. Each each month, or with some companies, each quarter, you could send in a check for a hundred bucks, and they'd use it to buy stock, even if it's one point three, four, five shares of stock. And then every with every dividend, that that dividend would come in and buy you more partial shares of stock. So it was a great way to build up wealth really incrementally over time, again, without any costs. But I, I, I believe in the 90s there were a few thousand companies, maybe I'm misremembering the number, but there were, that offered this free of charge, and now it's down to hundreds. And unfortunately, Coca-Cola is not one of them. Coca-Cola charges for every move you make in the dividend reinvestment plan, even for reinvesting dividends, even for your incremental purchases. So Unfortunately, I wouldn't recommend it as highly as I otherwise would. If if the plan was free, great, go for it. But uh, you have more flexibility and may face equally small or large fees using a discount broker. It sounds like one of the drawbacks is that you're looking at a much smaller universe of stocks. Because the, the, my memory syncs up with yours in that 15 years ago, there were thousands of companies who had these types of plans. Mm-hmm. They were by and large, the same. And so you were able to just choose across a pretty wide spectrum of, of businesses to invest in. Um, but now it's just a smaller universe. That's that's true, Chris. And and at the same time, there are quite a few good companies. There's 3M, there's ExxonMobil, Duke Energy, uh, A.O. Smith, Abbott Labs, that do offer completely free dividend reinvestment plans. So what I would do is Google free or no-fee drip plans and then find the list. There are many lists of them online. And then truly look at companies that don't charge you anything to use these. And then they're, they're perfect for your children, perfect when you're just starting out. And, and really, they can work for your whole life if you want to put some money in there and keep it forever. One problem is you, you don't have these in a tax-deferred account, typically, that I know of. Uh, so you'll you're not getting the benefits of of a retirement plan per se. I think one of the other hurdles is that because it's a smaller universe, and I'm also just thinking about some of the names you just threw out there. I know that with my own kids, to get them interested in investing, it's so much easier when it's a company that they identify with, that they enjoy, that they use the product or service or whatever it is. So True. it's hard for me to imagine like going, you know, it's like, kids, come quick. We're going to talk about Duke Energy. A.O. Smith. They make air conditioners. Um, well, I, I, you've got Dr. Pepper. Oh, There's there one on this list. <laughs> there uh, you go. Because that's what you want. You just want to load your kids up with sugar water. <laughs> Um, <laughs> but yeah, bottom line is they're they're okay to to begin and teach children investing. Just try to find one that doesn't charge fees. Do you have any thoughts on this? Uh, I have some thoughts. I <laughs> I uh, I've actually never. I've got a number of drips in my very long term kind of ignore it part of the portfolio. Uh, I've never paid a fee for any. Certainly, um, you know. I, but I I do like drip investing because you it lets you buy more and more shares over time letting the compounding work for you because who knows what you're going to use with the, you know, you've allocated a certain amount of money to a particular company and you just keep going in there and, and you get a larger stake. Uh, and and it, it really adds up over time. You know, I was just looking at one of my favorite drips is a Canadian pipeline company called uh, Enbridge, uh, which is also traded on the New York Stock Exchange. But um, What's the ticker? Uh, ENB. 
on both New York and Toronto. And, you know, this is a company that has uh, paid a dividend for 61 consecutive years. Uh, wow. It has raised its dividend every year. And that's something else that you, you know, maybe don't really think of when you get into a drip. But, you know, these, these dividends go up over time, and so you're buying more and more shares. Um, it's raised its dividend every year, for, I think, since 96. Um, you know, and over the past decade, you know, the stock price just by itself in Canadian dollars, so we'll, we'll ignore the exchange rate for now, but the Canadian stock price has gone up about 15% a year annualized. So that's a great investment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, with dividends reinvested, it's over 19%. So wow. you picked up 4%, just, you know, you, you've picked up four percentage points just by running that out. So, and, and that's a dividend adjusted <laughs> stock price. It's, it's also a, a great uh, mental exercise to go through, particularly if, if this is something you're doing with your children, is to just think in terms of like, wait a minute, before, you know, let's, let's project 30 years into the future. And just think about the business. Do we think this business is going to be around in 30 years? Morgan Housel was in here last week, and one of the things we talked about was Clorox and just mm-hmm. the whole the whole idea that you know Clorox is one of those businesses where it's like, yeah, whether they are still an independent company or bought by someone else, I'm pretty sure Clorox is going to be around in 30 years. So true. And, if and you doing it, very similar to what they're doing now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, if you could buy. Procter & Gamble or Cisco Systems today and had to lock it away for 30 years, I think there's no question you'd buy P&G because you know they'll be oh, making yeah. the same oh, sort yeah. of products. Uh, there is one. Uh, more brokers these days, I believe, are offering to reinvest your dividends, either a, a low fee or a no fee. So Ed could look into that, uh, find a broker who will reinvest those Coca-Cola dividends in shares without a charge. Uh, he's on the right track choosing a company like Coca-Cola, mm. of course, which is everyone paints it as this soda monster that's selling this junky sugar water. But they're really a beverage company that goes well beyond that water. Well, tea. right. And as we, yeah, and as we've talked about before, they are you look at what they're doing with their business. They are increasingly leaning on the non soda brands mm-hmm. to do more of the heavy lifting. Mm-hmm. Um, so thanks for the question, Ed. Do you notice Ed is from Chicago? Anyone who writes in from <laughs> Chicago, I'll, I'll come on the show and answer because that's my hometown. Because it's all about... <laughs> <laughs> so Jim will come by, down by, by that logic, <laughs> anyone from Toronto? No, no, anyone from Canada. <laughs> anyone from Canada. I get the whole country. <laughs> we'll awesome. Just, we'll <laughs> Moosonee, well, Ontario, folks. Uh, so it's just, your turn. You know, isn't the population of Canada roughly the population of Chicago? I'm no. kidding. Come on. Come on. I'm kidding. It's smaller than Chicago. I'm kidding. I was going to say, there are 17 of us. Um, We're all related. D- before we wrap up, as I said at the top, we got to talk about options. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so now, what you mean to say is, let's get started now. Let's get started. And let's talk about <laughs> options. Um, what kind of questions are you getting from people? Motley Fool Options is is, uh, is a service that you guys work on. Um, it It is opening up for new members next month so uh, you know we'll we'll talk about that next month as well but but I'm just curious um, what types of questions are you getting um, particularly as it relates to volatility because volatil- volatility is one of those things that just is constantly discussed in the financial media and I think that it, it, it carries with it this automatic negative connotation like well if it's volatile it's got to be bad and I just look at that as one of those things that you guys just can't get enough of. Well, I mean, I, I need to clarify first. I've yet to meet the person who complains about upside volatility. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Nobody complains really? about upside. I, I'll complain about that. Well, you? Yeah, well, if you're if you're going for a buzzard bait short, I suppose. It's a pain. No, it's just a, a when you have a hedged portfolio. Okay. Sure. Everything. Yeah. Goes you know, up. But but 
you know, so really when people complain about volatility, they're complaining about downside volatility. Right. In other words, I don't want my stock to go down. In the options world, options prices, though, are positively influenced by volatility. And one of the things that's happened over the past five years, the lifetime of our service, <laughs> has been a steady drop-off, frankly, in the overall level of volatility, overall fear in the markets. And what that has done, if you, uh, we are predominantly option sellers. We, we like selling options for income, for cash inflow. And what that has done is actually made it leaner for us and more difficult when you are predominantly option sellers. Because, you know, where we would maybe sell an option three, four, five years ago that netted us 10% in three months, that same option today on the same stock, and probably the stock is at a higher valuation, so there's a perceived larger risk there, we might be getting 5 or 6% for that. So we, we, what, it, what the, you know, first of all, I think we, you know, I'll speak for Jeff, we'd like a little more volatility in the market, you know, mm -hmm. and kind of, you know, a little bit more fear out there would be nice. Um, but the other thing is it, it, what it does is it influences us to shift over. And so we're going less for the, you know, that type of thing. And more like, more like the long-term, you know, we're thinking long-term options. We're thinking long-term option strategies or investment strategies, I'd say, using options as the vehicle. I just like that it's not just the value investors at heart. People like Bill Mann or you know T Tim Hansen. I don't I don't know that Tim necessarily identifies himself as a value investor, but but just I th I think of the full funds guys mm -hmm. when they're sitting in here over the last year or so. They've one of the things they said Joe Maker. I'll I'll add him to that group. Where one of the things they've said repeatedly is it's tougher and tougher to find value, and I just like for their sake alone that it's also tough for guys like you well, too. Well, I mean, I, I identify as a card-carrying member of the cult of the value investor. You know, I mean, it's and it, it is, but it is tougher, and it's it's tougher for a very different reason. That because you know our option premiums are down. Yeah. So, so so what do you do? Right, and options are also interest rate sensitive. So the lower mm -hmm. rates are, the lower premium you'll get on an option. So we've still written options pretty regularly and we made as as Jim mentioned decent income especially a decent yield in today's market if you can make 6% a year 7% that's good yield uh, and we've bought more options we bought calls on Coca-Cola again speaking to Ed in Chicago hey Ed <laughs> shout out <laughs> shy town we've bought calls on Disney and we've bought other calls so when options are cheap you can you can buy more of them although we do that very carefully uh, because it is an asset that loses value over time, unless you're right. We're, we've been right 90-some percent of the time, so we're good with that the last five years. But why don't people like volatility in the market? I think it's only when they are fully invested or more than fully invested, if, if you're using any margin, which we right. do not recommend. Then volatility hurts really a lot. But if you keep some cash, at the least keep some cash, or if you're hedged, or a little bit short, then volatility is a welcome opportunity. So, we so, so just to peel back the curtain a little bit for our dozens of listeners, um, often what happens in prepping for the show um, when it's not earning season, because when it's earning season, it's it's very easy to to figure out what we want what we're going to talk about on market foolery. Um, but when it's not earning season, at some point, I'll just go to whoever's. Um, you know, we'll huddle and just say, "Well, here are a couple of ideas," and you know, it's and, ugly. And it's in the, ugly. And should be sharing this. And in the case, in the case of today, it was like, "Well, we, you know, we, Jim's here. We got to get his thoughts on Tim Hortons. We've got this, you know, this great email on dividend reinvestment." Mm -hmm. And then uh, when I said, "So, you know, options. What do you want to talk about?" And Jeff's eyes lit up, <laughs> and and Jeff said, 
the 2017 leaps. The leaps are coming. The leaps are coming. <laughs> the leaps are coming. Which, it's, you know, there you go. It's There's Christmas quick, for us. And Chris promptly sl- slapped me down. <laughs> yeah, that'll be exciting. That's fun stuff. Honey, come quick. They're talking about the 2017 leaps. So um, every fall, the new options roll out, the new leaps, which are long-term equity. Anticipation securities. Such a terrible name. It's awful. <laughs> leap forward, leap ahead. And they, when they come out, they have about two and a half years of lifespan ahead of them, which is about the longest you can get in a U.S. option, equity option. So we're happy for that. So they start rolling out in the fall, and they're rolling out right now, and we're looking in the Motley Fool Options Service and in Pro at options that don't expire now until January 2017. And that's fun for us. And uh, it makes you model your expectations the next couple of years. It kind of forces you to look ahead nearly three years, which is a good exercise to always have investing. And it's it's like a new, fresh opportunity in when, our eyes. And when you do that, are you looking company by company? Are you looking at different industries? How, what, what is your process for starting to it's, look it's that far ahead? really company by company, unless there's really a depressed industry where we want to find a value. When we look at options that go like far a, out. apparel retail? Is there? Are you looking at anything in apparel <laughs> oh, retail? I got one blown up today. Uh, I'm not right now. Okay. I think we'll best move on. Yeah. <laughs> so looking at 2017 options, you're mostly going to be buying those options. You would almost never write an option that expires that far ahead of time. When you're selling an option for premium, you're selling one that expires in a really short period. It could be weeks, a couple months, because you want to collect the premium and, and do it again. When you're buying an option, you want to uh, have as much time to be right as possible. So we're looking at really good companies to buy for the next couple of years. And then there's also there's a strategy that I, I favor quite a bit uh, that plays exactly what Jeff has just talked about, where the strategy is called a diagonal, which is where you buy a in the money, like where the strike price is below the current stock price. You buy a long-term option and you sell a short-term option, in both cases a call. And so you're putting up less money than if you would buy the stock, for example, by just buying the long-term option, and then you're selling calls against it like a covered call. And so we are very, I mean, every time the leaps, the new leaps list, this is, I mean, this is called a diagonal call. This is diagonal call season. And so as over as the leaps roll out over the next three months, members of our service will probably see another three or four diagonals show up because it's a... You know, I mean, we, I mean, I, well, I shouldn't say we. I have held off on options for probably the last few months because I've been waiting for the 2017 leaps to list up. So it's almost like it's a new season, and yeah. we'll set up these longer-term strategies, and then we can start working with some of our shorter-term shorter, shorter term stuff around them. All right, Chris. Right now, we could buy 2016, January 2016 options, but we know these 2017s are coming soon, so we'll wait because that saves us one role of the options saves us a commission gives us more time so for instance when just for example when nike 2017 options come out jim might if he wanted to set up a diagonal buy a 2017 call on nike and then sell uh, a call that expires say in december of this year on those calls so it's an income with upside position and the diagonal calls have done really well mm-hmm. in the service See, I make fun of these guys, but these are exactly the guys you want when you're looking at options. So we're yes. not fun at parties, though. No. 
No, that's what you want. You want the enthusiast. You want the person whose eyes light up that the 2017 leaps are coming out. <laughs> Jeff Fisher, Jim Gillies, thanks for being here, guys. Thank you, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. This show is mixed by Heather Horton. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.